Heavenly Father, thank you for drawing us here today to your house of worship and for promising, Lord, to meet us here. We ask that your Holy Spirit, the one who authored every word of this book, would now open up fresh and anew, Lord, your word to us and speak, Lord, to our spirits and allow us to hear you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I just want to thank the readers at all three services for the long reading. They did a great job, and Kelly did a great job. I actually pared down chapter 17. It is long, right? It's the whole story, and you're like, how do you get it all in? So anyway, if you want to follow along today, we're going to be in predominantly 1 Samuel 17. So that's where we're going to be. It's in the Old Testament rather early on. And then there's a couple New Testament verses we'll look at, but those are printed for you, so you should be good. So we're kicking off a series today called Goliath Must Fall. And obviously when you look at it, it's an idea that there is a giant and in scripture it fell. But what does that giant represent in your life? And so that's kind of what I want you to wrap uh, your, 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 your mind around as we go into this. About nine years ago, I showed up here at St. John. And some of you, when you were here, you might remember for a while, I had a, a chapped lip, my bottom chapped lip, and it wasn't you know, bleeding or anything nasty or anything like that, but I could feel it. You know how you have that like where you just know and you kind of want to mess with it with your tongue, you know, your chapped lip, and some of you are actually licking your lip right now. You're like, oh, oh, oh. So you try different things, right? You get Carmex and that big old thing that you never get to the bottom of, and you get the chapstick and Burt's beeswax, you name it. And after a while, I realized it's not going away. And so it took me as a guy about a year to go to the doctor to try to figure it out. So I go to Dr. Pod here locally, and he's like, you know, you probably should go see a dermatologist. I'm like, oh, no, really? So you, you know, make an appointment, and two months later, you get in. So this is about, uh, about 15 months into this. And I go in there thinking, they're just going to check it out, tell me I'm fine. And they're like, you know what? We think it could be cancer. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So they're like, we're going to do something right now. I'm like, this is the middle of the workday. So they lean me back, like, don't be afraid. This isn't going to hurt. This gargantuan needle, right? They're sticking it in my lip. So that kind of stung. They filled in, and then all of a sudden you start, and then this another person, like there's four people, right? Another person comes in all the mask and everything. And she has, as best I can describe it as the son of a bookbinder, she has like an X-Acto knife, right? And she's going to cut a piece of my lip off. Like, this is nuts. So she comes in and I just feel this big old pinch and takes it off, right? Sends me back with a little uh, bandage. And then a week later, they call me. and are like, yeah, you have cancer. We need to do what's called a Mohs surgery. It stands for something. Anyway, they sent me to a specialist. And he's like, yeah, no problem. We do this all the time. He's like, we're just going to cut a hole about the size of a pencil eraser in your lip. I'm like, oh, that's it, right? And we're going to get it all, no problem. So I go back, we do it. And he's right. I mean, the picture is like a perfect little hole. And he's like, oh, don't worry. It's going to just heal back. I'm like, oh, great. But they give you this gargantuan pad. And have you ever tried to actually adhere anything sticky to the inside of your wet lip, right? Doesn't happen. I'm walking around like this big old thing, and you probably saw me on a Sunday with it. You're like, what in the world happened to this guy, right? I found out I had a minor form of cancer, and if I would have let it go, it would have made it to my lymph nodes, possibly, you name it, you know, it's not good. Now, how many of you, if you would have had that diagnosis, how many of you would have either done like I did, or you would have said, ah, that's no problem, 
It's just my lips. It's not that big right now. I don't have to worry about that. No, you would have done something. Think about it. That is our physical body. How many times do we have something inside of our spirit? A struggle? Something we're fighting with mentally? Emotionally? It's, it's a giant, if you will, that is holding us down. And how often do we say, you know what? I've lived with it long enough. I'm just going to deal with that. That's just part of who I am. And people around me, they're just going to have to live with it. Well, we're here today to talk about what God wants. And God does not want you to hold on, to harbor, to feed that giant anymore. So here's the question. What's your giant? Name your giant. After the 8 o'clock service, the guy came out and he's like, I got tons of giants. Like, thank you for being honest, right? And so we started talking about the first one. And said, that's the one we got to start with, right? That's the one we got to work on. Now, I left a blank here for you to, like, name your giant. But I understand there might be someone sitting next to you or you don't want them to see that. Or you might, the spirit might be bringing something up right now. You're like, oh, I forgot about that, right? Because it could be a variety of different things. As examples, it could be greed. Like, you know, you just have an insatiable appetite for stuff and I can't get enough. Or that could lead to maybe a gambling problem. You buy one $2 Powerball ticket, and then you find yourself weeks every weekend up at Windstar, right? Or maybe yours is an emotional problem, where you're like, you know what? I just need someone to talk to, and I'm married, but this other person really gets me, and their old friend I found on Facebook, or maybe they're a coworker, and then all of a sudden you find yourself, this is not good. I'm looking at something that isn't good, right? Whatever that is for you, what's your giant? And if you're sitting here and you say you have none, we got to go eat because I got to hear how you've done this, okay? A lot of times our giants, you can look at it this way. They're like whack-a-moles. You remember that game? Like, you think you got them all down and another one pops up and oh, another one over here. That's what our giants are like. Like we think, I got this one and another one pops up, okay? So you probably have at least one you can put down there. And here's another thing to think about when you talk about your giant. Your giant, when you're thinking about it, it may start small, but eventually they can grow out of control, okay? Now listen to what James, Jesus' brother, says here. He says this, then after desire, okay? He says after like if there's a desire for something that's not right, after desire is conceived, that means it, it has taken root inside of you. After it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So James is telling us this isn't something to play with. Where I, where I see this happen most is in emotional relationships, okay? I don't care how young you are or how old you are. This is how it usually starts. Someone says, you know, my wife, my husband, they've been with me so long, they just don't get me. And this person just seems so interested about me. They have so much they want to hear about me. And I start talking with them. Talking isn't bad, they don't think. And then you start sharing personal things that you should be sharing with your spouse. And all of a sudden, uh, two months later, you're in a hotel and you're like, how did I get from there to here? Or another example, I, you know, I'm just going to look at this because I'm stressed. I have a, a need that's not met. I'm going to look at this online. 
and this picture is going to really make me excited, happy, what have you. And it's not hurting anybody, right? Because I can just erase the history of it. And then, but then you find out a month later, you're like, wow, I can't even stand the people around me because uh, emotionally I'm getting drawn to something else, right? Now, some of you have might been on either side of these equations, okay? So for some, you're like, yeah, I get it. That's bad news. And some, you're like, that's exactly my spouse, and it hurts, okay? Whatever your giant is, don't think, it's too small. I can deal with this. I got it, right? There's a guy in the Bible named David. And he looked at a giant and he realized, you know what? I can't handle this, but there's someone who can. And that's where we get the idea of the story of David and Goliath. I want to thank Joe McDonald and his team for actually uh, making this gargantuan of uh, a backdrop here. Um, the story of David and Goliath. Some of you might remember flannel graphs. Like when you were a kid, there'd be like flannel little cutouts of David and Goliath, big Goliath. Or some of you had like, you know, the printout pictures and you cut out the little pictures. But for some of you, this might be the first time you've heard the actual story, right? You might have heard the name Goliath uh, in culture. We use that as something gargantuan and huge. That's a Goliath. But where does this story come from? It comes from 1 Samuel chapter 17, okay, early on in the Bible. And this is a real person, a real place. That's why we actually had uh, this up here, okay? Uh, Goliath was actually from the town of Gath. He was part of the Philistine uh, ethnic, ethnic group, the Philistines. Okay, they were always, always uh, a thorn in the side, if you will, of the Israelites. Generation after generation, they were fighting each other, always had trouble. So we find ourselves at this time, this is about 1,000 B.C., about 1,000 years before Jesus, okay? We find the Israelite army and the Philistine army camped across from each other, between the valley of, of, of Elah. So here's the valley. They're down here. And, you, and here's what's cool. Like, this stuff is real. When you read in the Bible, you're like, oh, that's just a story. This is real. You can go there today. And where those red arrows are, okay, there's the valley down there. And you'll see on one side, you had one army, and on the other, the other army. So here's what happens back then. I know you watch these movies. You're like, man, that is so crazy how they used to fight, right? They just line up, and they say, okay, I'm going to... Uh, one, two, three, and they run at each other as fast as they can, just, right? Um, some strategy, I guess. So anyway, this is what they're going to do. Uh, Goliath's like, I have a different idea. I'm going to, because I'm so big, I'm going to yell every morning across the valley, and I'm going to challenge y'all, and if you can send one person, just one, that you think can beat me, we'll serve you. But if not, and, and I beat you, which I will, y'all, Come serve us. Now, the Bible tells us, if you read all of, of chapter 17, he did this for 40 days. Now, I find it interesting when you look at that number in the Bible, 40 days is always a, 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 a number of completeness, right? Jesus was in the desert, or was in the desert being tempted, doing all, the, all sorts of stuff, being tempted by the devil, 40 days, right? Israelites were in the desert for 40 years, right? So here's another 40 so you get an idea that not only are they taunting him, but it's a long, complete time. They've about had enough, right? 40 days of Goliath saying, hey, bring it on. So in walks this guy named David. David had been, already been chosen, okay? 
to be the next leader of Israel, but he hadn't ascended yet, okay? He was anointed, but he hadn't ascended. And so what happens is this. He comes in, his three oldest brothers are serving with Saul on the front lines. And his dad, Jesse, says, hey, go and take some bread and stuff to them to just give them some reinforcements. So David, who's basically a, a small shepherd boy, comes in and he says, what's going on? Y'all look, and the scripture tells us is they were dismayed and full of fear. Okay, So he probably saw that and he thought, man, y'all look pretty pretty full of fear. You look pretty scared. What's going on? They said, well, this guy over here, right? And just so you know how fearful they were, we don't speak in shekels anymore, okay? We talk, anybody have 5,000 shekels? You might, right? So this was 125 pounds of bronze. This weighs more than some of you. This tip right here, the Bible tells us was 15 pounds, just the end of it. That's crazy. And so I don't know about you, but I would look at that and probably agree with David's older brothers. I'm staying in camp. I'm drinking coffee. I'm going to have lunch and dinner and wake up the next morning and let him yell at me. How often do we do that with our giants, right? It's so big, I'm not touching it. I'm just going to live with it like I always have. But David said, no. There is a God who's going to fight for us and with us, and we're going to take this guy down. And instead of taking the things that, that uh, Saul offered him, his oversized uh, you know, armor, he said, I'm going to get five smooth stones. God has taught me. Think about this. He has taught me in the past how to fight these giants because he fought a bear and a lion, Scripture says, to, to save the sheep. And he goes out there and he just used that one. They, some say it probably was going a good stone thrower like this about 100 miles an hour. Okay, sunk into the big giant's head, kaboom, he's down. So the question is this, on your outline, why is this story a great backdrop in your life story? Out of all the stories in the Bible, when we talk about slaying our giants, we could have we used another metaphor, but why is this so good in talking about, about getting rid of that thing that is bothering and holding you down. Here's why. The first is this. See, this, this scripture, is, it just lays it out for us beautifully. The first thing is this. You cannot do this on your own. How many times have you been dealing with your giant and you're like, I can't believe I've done that again. You wait, tomorrow's going to be different. Then you put your head on the pillow at night again. I can't believe I lost my cool again. I can't believe I lost control. I can't believe my pride got the better of me, right? Whatever your giant is, every every night you're like, I can't believe it happened again. Do you know what that tells us? Is that you're you're, you're probably trying to do it on your own. And I've been there just, I've been there with you, okay? Um, My life is filled with a bunch of whack-a-moles. Okay, so so I know exactly what it feels like. You're not alone. I, I guarantee a lot of people in here right? We try to do it on our own. Men are, are, are particularly good at this, but women do it as well, right? It's basically saying, I'm going to use my willpower to take care of this on my own, right? Pull myself up by my bootstraps like my dad did. And here's what scripture tells us. Look at this. David, David said to the Philistine, you come again against me with sword, spear, and javelin, okay? So he's saying, hey, you, big man, you're using all 
of man-made stuff, okay? You come to me the only way the world knows, and you're going you're to fight your battle that way? Guess how I'm going to fight the battle, David says. He says, you come to me that way, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He took five smooth stones, not much in an earthly sense, but what he took is the name of God Almighty with him. I'm coming against you with the God of Israel. You know how we bring that into the New Testament? We come to him with Jesus. There's no way for you to fight this battle without Jesus, right? Here's the next point. Your motivation should be to bring God glory, right? How many times have you prayed maybe against your giant or a hang-up or a habit you have, and you're like, God, please remove this to me because I, I look so bad in this person's eyes. God, is hurting me, right? All that may be true, but the first thing we want to do is make sure that when God is a part of this, he gets the glory, right? He is the one. He is the one because it points everybody else towards the one that can actually kill the giant. Here's what, what, David, what Scripture tells us. This day, David says, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'm going to strike you down, cut off your head. I think we're going to do that in week five. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will what? Know that there is a God in Israel. Some of you know that I love to pray over people. I love praying with people. Um, every day, I pray for a, couple, a lot of things, but a couple active things. I say, God, help me uh, to, to serve and help another alcoholic. And number two, help me, give me somebody to pray over. He always does, especially the second one, right? Just many people to pray over. And what I found over the last few years is that when we pray, say, Lord God, as you're healing this person, we pray that you would get glory in this way, that the doctors or nurses or people that hear about this would come in the room and be amazed, like, wow, these tests say that this should be what your body is, but it's this, right? And why is that? So that other people can know it's not just us, but there is a God who is living, who is active, who is for us, who has conquered death, who does live, and he is the God, the one that can do all this, right? So that's what it means to give God the glory, right? Say, hey, it's all this guy, and he can do that for you too. And finally this, no matter how big, no matter how big your giant has become, Jesus has already slayed it. You remember last week? We had Easter. Easter is the, the greatest Sunday in the church year. Every Sunday is a little Easter, in my opinion, and in the church's opinion, right? But here's what happens. Jesus not just conquered death, but he conquered so much more. Listen to what he says here. He has these seven last words from the cross, these phrases, and here's one of them that, that he gave, and I think it's pertinent for our, our talk today. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. What is the it? There could be a lot. People say, well, his life, his earthly life here. But I bet that it also includes your giant. Because he didn't piecemeal what he was going to battle on the cross. He battled the evil one. 
He battled for every sin that you did commit, you are committing, that you will commit. He paid for it all, including the battle against your giant. So in the weeks to come, I encourage you to come back, bring somebody who you know is struggling with an addiction, right? A giant, something that they just can't shake. You know people, and you've known people for decades. You're like, I know Joe, and Joe needs this, right? Because we're going to walk through the different portions of Scripture that will help us realize how can God actually do this and conquer it, something that we couldn't do on our own. So the word Goliath, I mentioned earlier kind of in our um, circles in this country, Goliath would be seen in a secular way, right? In an earthly way, like that's just something big. People kind of know that. But the Hebrew actually translation for Goliath actually means splendor, okay? That's kind of interesting, like splendor, like probably more like an, oh, wow, look how big that guy is, right? The first portion of, the, of his name, though, has the Hebrew word in it called galah. And galah means to uncover or expose. So bringing it all together, how special is it that your galah, okay, your Goliath, your giant, actually means something that needs to be uncovered or exposed? Some of you are squirming right now. You're like, I'm just actually going to try to stay as still as I can because I don't want anybody to know about this, right? So here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Over the next few weeks, we're going to help you to uncover, expose that, that Goliath, that giant, and allow Jesus to slay which he has, right? And so to be practical today, what we're going to do is we're going to have, at this time, I want to invite the band to come forward, the prayer teams to come forward. We're going to have our prayer teams up front, and we're going to sing a couple songs. And here's what you can do. You can do one of two things. You can either stay in your seat, right? And spend some time with Jesus, do some amazing prayer, and ask him, Lord, just take this giant and help me to work through this. Or you can come forward. You can come forward, and, and you know, God gives us a community so that we aren't on our own. We can't do this by ourselves. You can come forward. You don't even have to name your giant to these people if you want. You just say, you know what? I got a giant. I want you to just pray over it. Now, I, and I believe that some may be like, I'm not going up there because then everybody's going to know I got a giant. Okay, like I said, if you don't have a giant, are you breathing? <laughs> right? Gentlemen, early service, I have tons of giants, Pastor. Most of us do. So I ask you to stand right now. And if God so moves in your heart, don't worry about what other people think. Don't leave anything on the table. But come forward and allow Jesus to speak into you as we pray.